and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bass. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, feeling guilty because I left our guest standing outside <laughs> out your in, new place. Out in the cold. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, out in the cold <laughs> for 10 minutes after he got stuck in traffic uh, driving to where you live, which as we learned, according to Mike Schmidt last week, is in Mexico. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but, but apparently... At your old place, this was a problem with this guest. He he often got stranded. So now everyone has everyone's number. Yeah, this will never we're all ever cool. happen again. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be all right. I'm glad we, we talked about it. Yeah. yeah, we we ran the risk of alienating one of our beloved never. most beloved guests. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, but now we're everything. Yeah, everything's fine. Yeah, all right. Yeah, everything's fine, guys. It's, <laughs> it's all right. We've got David on the road to meditation. Yeah, that's right. It's going to start up quick. You're not going to. I'm not going to be drinking any more of these tall boys. Takati this week. <laughs> yeah, because I usually get the, the the champagne of beers when I do a podcast. Ah, high life is good. Um, but uh, I stopped at a different place, and they didn't have the tall boys of, of high life. And I'm sure you, you know, trashed the place because they didn't have your brand of choice. <laughs> no, not at all. What I did, though, uh, is because I, I came from a different way, I, found, I, I keep finding out more about your neighborhood. I love it up here. Do you? Yeah. Please move up here. None <laughs> of my friends live here. <laughs> but you have, well, you have something that I have near me in North Hollywood, which is a Vallarta supermarket, which yes. is, or supermercado, which is the best supermarket that there is. I suppose. Um, I, I didn't know there was one near you, but I came from a different direction and drove right past it have i mentioned the uh the restaurant by me called country folks with a k yeah i think uh every other episode since you moved here you've mentioned but, but it. <laughs> have i mentioned what's neat about it no what is that that when you step inside you feel like you've just walked into a bob evans and branson right right, right. Yeah, yeah it's fascinating <laughs> and i just ate there with a friend right before this and uh and it never fails i walk in and first off it's just like whatever white people live in this neighborhood hang out at country folks and uh, apparently there's a there's a group of people including me you think that the secret clan meetings are going on in the background yeah. that's where the that's chapter that's the k stands yeah. for yeah <laughs> um but yeah and so I, you just walk in and it's not unlike uh like a dorothy's house in wizard of oz where you know it lands and it's like okay well i know the area inside i'm familiar with but when you look out the window it's like a whole other world. Uh-huh. So you walk in and he's like, oh, it's like I'm back in southern Missouri. You look out the window. It's like, what? what's out there? What? <laughs> like, look at all that traffic and the strip club. It's like the phantom toll booth. <laughs> exactly. Okay. That's our guest whom okay. I have not officially introduced yet. And I will get to that. But we have a couple things to get out of the way. First off, I want to say, I mean, you talked about being transported back to Branson. You want to be transported while you're listening to music or podcasts. The best way to do that is to get your earbuds from tweakedaudio.com. That's T-W-E-A-K-E-D audio, tweakedaudio.com. Uh, those are professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors at low, low prices. And they really are sharp, these different styles and colors. Mm-hmm. They're really happening. Uh, and like if you wear them on the bus, people will be like, what the hell is that? People notice. Um, I got to see it. And because you know us, because you're cool with us, you go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension, you get one third off and free shipping. There you go. And what uh, you've got something there that very much needs to be talked about. Yeah, indeed. People, people really enjoyed. We got a lot of responses uh, on Twitter, on the, on the website, and some emails mm-hmm. about our fall movie preview episode. Yeah, our nearly three hour yes. fall movie preview. So, but uh, pe- like, tell us that people almost didn't get to hear that. What's the backstory? Well, uh, through uh, some weird, I mentioned uh, 
in the last episode that uh, GarageBand has been giving us some trouble lately. And uh, that can be best personified by when we were 90 minutes in to our uh, fall, movie three hour fall movie preview. Yeah. Uh, GarageBand like froze or shut down. I don't totally recall. It's happened before. It upped and quit on us. Yeah. It's... He wrote The Jungle, right? <laughs> um, but, uh, so yeah, it, it, uh, it's happened before, and it's not that big of a deal. We can usually retrieve the files, and everything's fine. Um, and we tried to do that this time, yeah, only to find that, uh, yeah, it uh, could not happen. So I, I looked for any number of uh, online fixes. There were a lot of, uh, people had a lot of opinions about what we could do to uh, get that 90-minute that audio file back. Uh, and, yeah, you had uh, a lot of, you were, you were hounded. Or, or hounding, I guess the, the the solution. Yeah, I was. You were like a hound. Yeah, very you much. Showed, so. You know what you showed? Hmm. Stick-to-itiveness. I thought you were going to say moxie. Well, well, I, some of that as well, but that's for that's for in a moment. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so it's uh, that's the thing is it's it's very strange. As I've said on the show before, there are certain uh, technical online HTML things that uh, that I've had to learn over the years, and now it's one of those things where it's like if I can't figure something out that seems like it could be figured out based on what a lot of other people online have said. It's like, okay, well, I'm not a, I'm not a dumb person. If these assholes can figure it out, certainly I can. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I found a program that I downloaded and I tried to run the uh, audio through that, and that didn't work. So then I contacted the guy, because I purchased this program. So then mm-hmm. I contacted the guy and said, hey, uh, this program didn't work. Do you have any suggestions? And I didn't think it might work because there – I didn't think it would – I didn't totally think it would work because there are a couple of uh, other options. It was like for iPad and stuff, but I thought, mm-hmm. eh, maybe it'll work for us. Um, and he said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, send me the raw GarageBand file. I'll see what I can do. And uh, cut to uh, a day later, perfectly scrubbed, nice and clean file. Yeah. Plopped it right back into GarageBand. Works fine. You get your almost three-hour episode. Yeah. It was great. So now... So we want to thank I, this guy. Yeah. Not so only I want to thank him, but... Yeah, I want to tell you a little bit more about him. Here we go. It, his company's name is Fixed It, but instead of an I, there's a number one, leading me to be a little confused on how to pronounce it. But it's Fixed It. Hmm. Wait, which I is replaced with the number one? It. Okay. That one. So, so it's, it's not F-I- Fixed One... T- it's fixed it. In uh, case anyone's confused. Which reminds me, one time... Uh, you know the movie Layer Cake... I'm sure I've said yeah. this on the show before. Uh, when oh, it was oh, on oh, for your case. Yeah, the the uh, four is an a, the a is a four. Yeah, right. and so when I worked at Blockbuster, people were like, "Can you tell me about La Foyer cake?" <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, uh, "No, I you, can't." You eat in a hallway of some sort of, in the entrance of your home. Well, there's also <laughs> in France. Yeah, the La Foyer cake. <laughs> there's set seven N. Yeah, right? and now there's Gra Sandra Bullock in space. Itty. Oh, okay. Like on the Scott, friend of the show and blogger uh, Scott and I tweeted uh, a billboard here in Los Angeles in which the V in gravity is Sandra Bullock upside down in space and oh, her. Uh, but that's the ad. Like in seven, that's actually the title. Right. Yeah. And yeah. also is, another is one that like true that a layer is, um, cake. Lucky number seleven, I think. Has oh, right. A number. Two. Yeah. Uh, the one I was thinking of was the remake of Thirteen Ghosts, which is called Third Thirteen and Ghosts, <laughs> <laughs> and then Final Destination. Five will oh, no yeah. yeah. <laughs> goes west. Exactly. Anyway, yeah. fixed it. Moving on. Okay. Well, hopefully he enjoyed that. I think we're making fun of him. I'm not sure. No. I don't, I fixed it is run by UK analog synth builder and electro musician Malcolm Dixon. That was a sentence I enjoyed saying. 
Yeah, Years of working with audio means Fixit has the skills and tools to open broken digital audio files and and extract what's inside. He can also take a poor quality. Uh, can take poor quality recordings and breathe some new life into them. Fixed-It has also created a suite of small, inexpensive programs to allow Mac GarageBand users to take songs off the Mac and onto the iPad 2, iPhone 4, and iPod Touch so users, so users can work on songs on the move. For, for more information, just go to Fixed-It, that's F-I-X-E-D, the number one, the letter T, dot co, dot U-K, or click on the skyscraper ad at battleshippretension.com. Uh, and so that's the thing. If you enjoyed that uh, fall movie preview episode, you owe it yeah. to this guy. So if you have Seriously. Malcolm, yeah. Malcolm Dixon. Well done, Malcolm. Yeah. Now you can all hear my nasally congested voice in full high fidelity. <laughs> and that is the nasally congested voice of good friend of the show, star of... Uh, Stage of and Compliance, screen. star of The Innkeepers, and star of the upcoming Cheap Thrills, Pat Healy. Hello. Hi, guys. <laughs> I'm not mad anymore. Oh, good. At me. You should, be not, you should not be mad at Tyler at all. No, no. I, I, there was some confusion about how to get in here, and then there was an open gate. I came in. The places are numbered, strangely. Yes, they are. Uh, I, um, people were staring at me, strangely. Because uh, I'm white, obviously. Yes, no, yes. Just kidding. <laughs> and um, they gave me the the stink eye when I moved in, but it's fine. But it's, now they know you're cool. No, I just don't talk to any of them. <laughs> Although yes, yesterday the doorbell rang. I go out, and it's this uh, family uh, of adults. And uh, what do you mean a family of adults? Well, like it's there's no kids, you know. Oh, so it's like a family of adults. <laughs> there's like a Kinda, guy yeah, dressed like, as a little kid, like a photo <laughs> of a, a giant lollipop. <laughs> Dad, I want some candy. <laughs> uh, so it was just so it was uh, several adults, and uh, they were uh, you know uh, Latino, and they did not speak the best English, and so um, but they were very friendly, and they said, "Oh, hello, uh, condo for sale," and I said, uh, "No, I'm sorry, my condo is not for sale," and they said, "Oh," and then they showed me the a notepad. Sure enough, there's my address. There's my unit number. And I was like, and I'm like, am I being evicted? <laughs> Did you get flim flammed? <laughs> <laughs> um, so they live here now. But uh, but yeah, and so I said, oh, oh they did. They did. Oh, I, no, no. You were and joking. S- yes. And so another place. they uh, let me explain how I'm stupid. Yeah. Well, it's we already got it. <laughs> but uh, and so the so I said, oh, yeah, that's. I'm sorry. It's not for sale. That's my address. But this is not for sale. Somebody. You got some wrong information, and there's and they looked so sad and dejected, and then they just kind of like wandered away, and I felt bad for them because like it might be some other unit in this area. Yeah. To my knowledge, none of them could be in the complex or for sale. But uh, but I felt so bad because I had because there are forty eight units total, and I felt like telling the I felt like well maybe one of them, but I have no idea what to tell. You them. know what it could be? What's that? I just watched the Rockford Files where. <laughs> uh, uh, Lieutenant Becker, or not Lieutenant, he's a, he's a Sergeant Becker, his best friend, Dennis, buys, it, uh, buys uh, uh, Joe Santos. He buys uh, what he thinks is this luxury hotel or, or share in it. And he gets there and he finds out that they're condos. Mm. And they've just, some flim flam man has sold them the lobby. <laughs> Even though he's an L.A. cop, I don't know why anybody does it. So Jim Rockford and uh, his dad, Rocky, and Angel, you know, Stuart Margolin, the, the con man, absolutely pretend to be oil prospectors and start digging for oil and put up like an oil uh, derrick in the front yard of the place to to shake the guys out who turn out to be 
organized crime guys. Oh, good. So it might have been one of those situations. Yeah. Is what that I'm sounds, saying. I am kind like of in league with organized crime. I'm watching a lot of Rockford Files. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, how, uh, do, you, do you own the DVDs? Are they available to stream? They, they just, yeah, they became available recently on Netflix, uh, all six seasons. And it's a show that I, I loved as a kid. I was really little when it came on, and so I probably saw it in reruns. And I haven't watched it in years. And I love, you know, detective fiction and noir mm-hmm. and... Uh, not that Rockford Files isn't war necessarily, but it is a a a grandchild of uh, of Raymond Chandler and Marlowe, mm-hmm. and you know the down and out uh, detective, and, mm-hmm. and and Garner even played Marlowe in a movie. Uh, but uh, I'm enjoying it, and uh, and so I just sort of like they're like uh, my uh, snacks, you know. I'll run a couple of those. Later so it holds up. Bed. Yeah, it's good. I mean, they're okay. stupid. The plots make no sense. I mean, much like a lot of Raymond Chandler, <laughs> which is some of the best writing I, I think that there is. Yeah. But the story is kind of like they've never really, they, they, it's not really about the story. I mean, that's why I think The Big Lebowski is so good because it takes the idea of those stories being sort of confusing and arbitrary and puts yeah. someone who doesn't belong there in the middle of it and it's confusing and arbitrary <laughs> to him, you know? Here's an odd thing about Raymond Chandler. So I, I really enjoy. Uh, all types of hard-boiled fiction. My patience for Mickey Spillane does not go very far. But That's uh, not one of my, uh, yeah. in my wheelhouse yeah. either. Hammett, though. I'll read Hammett yeah, all day long. Classic. And so um, I've uh, so I've read a number of Dashiell Hammett books. Um, I've read some uh, James M. Cain. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I've gotten through two Mickey Spillane books. I could not get through a single Raymond Chandler. I don't know why. I lost interest immediately. And it's worth noting I never enjoyed The Big Sleep, the movie. Well, a lot of people why. have problems with it. It's, it's, it's all about atmosphere and character and set pieces and dialogue and not about story. Yeah, and, but, but I mean, Ham, I mean, I've read Maltese Falcon. I mean, that's all character and dialogue. Yeah, but there's, those, are, those are more intricate stories, for example. I you suppose. know, you have also an emotional undercurrent in something like uh, say the glass key where it's yeah. this, you know, Miller's crossing is, is very much, you know, red harvest and the yeah. glass key where it's a, a hood doing a, something and an intricate series of double crosses and things. Yeah. And it turns out he's doing it for his friend, you know, ultimately, yeah. or, or is he and that kind of thing. So it has an emotional core that Chandler's very much for people who uh, like me, who not only love crime fiction and, and, and that stuff, but, sort of romanticize uh, Los Angeles and, and, and romanticize what's seedy about Los Angeles. Yeah. And it's about um, class, uh, you know, cl- uh, cl- class distinctions. You know, he's yeah. notably always broke and always on cases with, you know, rich people, you know, and where yeah. he doesn't belong. So it's, it's, it's really about the, the word or the written word and, and being interested in that almost like poetry. But yeah, I mean, uh, uh you know, William Faulkner couldn't crack the big sleep. I, I, yeah. I defy you to find. I, I love the movie. I think it's great, but I defy you to find ten people that can come in here and tell you what the what the story is. <laughs> yeah, I've and, seen the you know the the you know the restored version and everything, and it makes even less sense. So, I, <laughs> and that's the thing is like you know I mean I like the Thin Man, Maltese Falcon, and then I've read Red Harvest and Glass Key. Yeah, and the Dane Curse. Um, Dane Curse has a fun little uh, twist there at the end. But, um, you know, and those are rather convoluted as well. 
And yet, for some reason, like, I can watch... I mean, Maltese Falcon is one of my ten favorite movies of all time. I've seen The Big Sleep probably three times, each time trying to... Well, Big but Sleep is no finished. Maltese Falcon. I mean, Maltese Falcon is one of the great films of all time. I mean, I'm, we're glad, I'm glad you said that. Mostly people give me about, a lot of crap about that one. Who? <laughs> people in school gave me crap about preferring... But that's not even known some as... some people just, just, like, they'll defend Howard Hawks up and down. Yeah, I love I Howard Hawks. Not, like, I, I'm not one of those people. I mean, I, I, I love, like Hawks, too, but I... I, I I'll take John Houston any day. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I have a question. But do so, you think part of it... And is, also, Houston is a great writer, so it's like it's... Yeah. Do you think there's some people who are just looking for cred by championing the, like, uh, less re- slightly less revered thing over the more revered uh, thing? Maybe. It's strange. Like, because, well, I was going to ask you, because I'm older than you guys, and, and um, let's be honest, I'm a lot older than you guys, and that was never, ever thought of as, like... I mean, it's sort of a classic film, and everyone knows it. But it's not—it's not thought of one of the, as one of the great films, *The Big Sleep*. I mean, whereas *Maltese Falcon* is, you know, most cinephile circles. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's be people being contrarian. Well, people latch onto it as a function of *Bogey and Bacall*. That 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 too. But there's better *Bogey and Bacall* movies, yeah. even. You know? I prefer *Key Largo*. Yeah, I, like I have and um, have not. Yeah. I've always thought that for every person who likes Buster Keaton more than Charlie Chaplin, because that's correct. <laughs> there are people who are there are people who are liking it just because that feels contrary. Well, to those them. people like Harold Lloyd the best. <laughs> right. uh, for the record, I prefer Harold yeah. Lloyd. Here's the thing: I do think Keaton is the is the best. He of them, is, and I think I Lloyd agree. might actually structurally be the worst. But I like the character. I like the glasses character. Yeah. a lot. Yeah, I really respond to him. I wrote a paper in school. Oh, that's great. I actually yeah. prefer both of them to Chaplin. Does that make me some kind of asshole? No, I think. Well, again, it depends on your motivation. If you're just sure. doing it to be an asshole, no. Which again. There are a number of things that I do just to be an asshole. Yeah, but, uh, um, like that jacket. I thought, this is a very, this is a very nice. No, I jacket. don't know. I feel like you look like an asshole, specifically the the pocket square. What's yeah. going on, Captain Stubing? <laughs> going to the yacht club? <laughs> I like this jacket. No, quite a bit. I'm it's joking. A, it's a course. nice blazer. Come on. Um, I forget what we were saying. You can see your parents so, with that. Uh, what's that? We're getting convoluted like a Raymond Chandler <laughs> yeah. story. Well, the Rockford see? Files stories are just as like yeah. Silly and convoluted. So tell tell us about. Uh, well, first tell us about cheap thrills. When when can we? We're not going to just talk about Rockford. For I an have hour? things to talk about regarding uh, detective television. Well, we'll go back. Right. We can okay. go back to it. All right. But, yes, we will go back to but, it. So you want detective wanna, television? You want, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can talk at length about it. Columbo is classic. Yeah, and I enjoy I enjoy him a lot. My question was this. So. The other day I was watching uh, while I was working. I had uh, various videos on and. Uh, an ad kept coming up for Ironside, and then I've oh, seen yeah. uh, billboards for it. Is that okay. uh, Blair Underwood? With Blair Underwood, doesn't it feel... Blair Underwood in the Raymond Burr... Uh, yeah, doesn't yeah. it feel like... When I see when I see a billboard over the, the, the street or the freeway for Ironside starring Blair Underwood, I feel like I'm in a movie that's like one of those Hollywood satires. <laughs> like like <laughs> you you're, dr- you're in Get Shorty or something? Yeah, Don't yeah. things feel more and more like that just in general? Yeah. Like, I always think like, I always say like, when did everything turn into a Mr. Show sketch? <laughs> Are you guys allowed to play music on here or do you not? Because it has a rights issue. Uh, uh, we, we do. Uh, we can yeah, drop we it. Can I play the original Ironside theme really quick? Sure. I love sure, it so yeah. much. You might recognize it as being the music that um, motivates Uma Thurman whenever she gets angry and uh, oh, right, yeah. and, and Kill Bill. And apparently, 
the reason for it was that the Shaw brothers used that cue, which is the beginning of the Ironside theme in those kung fu movies in the seventies. Mm-hmm. And so Tarantino just uses it in Kill Bill, but it's it's actually the the theme to the original Ironside. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah. And now that I and that's the thing. Raymond Burr in a wheelchair does not that, that music doesn't go with that at all. No, I know. <laughs> but well, uh, they have to make it dynam- dynamic somehow. <laughs> well, and that's okay. This is going to sound really mean to people in wheelchairs. But the thing is, this I was watching the ad for Ironside with Blair Underwood, and they're trying to make it into. Now, I didn't see the original with with Raymond Burr, mm-hmm. but they're trying to turn it into like an action thing right and i saw murder ball i know the people in wheelchairs can be pretty many of them are in way better shape than i am but ugh, like i it, saw it looks like they're it's just a name recognition thing and it's like oh well we got, we got to put them in a wheelchair but like let's still have them beat the hell out of everyone i i that. was on a show called blind justice about 10 years ago okay starring ron eldard Okay. Yes. And, and my friend Frank Grillo, who I saw recently, who I work with on Captain America, and he he was a regular on the show. And what it was was a a a cop who was blinded in a line of duty. Yeah. And they bring him back, and he's sort of kind of like Daredevil, where he's like, "Those flies are a certain type of flies. The body's buried there, that kind of thing." <laughs> like he has heightened senses. Yeah. But somebody at the network decided that he needed to be armed so i think it's the second episode he's carrying a gun <laughs> and that show is notable for my uh, my my sole appearance as a wait for it retarded pedophile hey all right thank you a little something for everyone there yeah that reminds me of uh a show. i can't remember if you were on were you on csi classic the, the, the yes so, okay you, that's another show the first episode the and like, miami Okay. Yeah. But at different characters. Yes. Even though they're part of the same universe. I was a rapist on the second one, but on the, on the regular one, I just played a guy who ran a laundromat who found a dead kid in a dryer. All right. Um, I, lo- I loved CSI. Yeah. For the <laughs> Cleared that up. And I've, <laughs> I, I've, I've soured on it, or I've just grown out of it or something. But uh, the first episode of CSI. You've grown was, out of it after the first 15 years or whatever? I think it was when William <laughs> Peterson left. I okay. uh, stopped watching it. Um but in the first episode, they're like training the new, uh, the new uh, hire, and 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 William Peterson tells her or him because uh, they found the suspect. But then the guy um, who played uh, the, who plays a detective, Detective Brass or whatever, is is interrogating the suspect, and they're outside of the room. And William Peterson's like, you know, we don't get to talk to the suspects. That's that was like. That was only in the first episode. <laughs> I think that the writers realized we can't write a scene every week we'll where the detective tells thing. them what they learned in the interrogation. We just have to cut this out. Ooh, I just thought of something that kind of takes us full circle, though not really because I kind of brought it up. But my favorite crime fiction writer is Jim Thompson. Okay. My absolute favorite. Probably, probably just about my favorite writer, period. Wrote one novelization for Iron- Ironside. Really? Oh. Yes. How was it? Which is the only book of his I haven't read. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. Now, he wrote The Executioners, right? The Executioners. Or am I thinking of somebody else? Yeah, you're thinking of uh, John- The Executioners is a Matt Helm uh, book. No, I, it's the one that Cape Fear was, uh, was based oh, on. Oh, is that John McDonald? That's McDonald. Yeah. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk. Okay, if we're, in, we're going to talk about a detective. <sighs> this television. is actually good, no, because crime fiction plays a really big part in. 
Well, not not as big a part in Cheap Thrills, but it certainly comes as born out of that that world. Okay. Um, well, first, well, first, I want to ask you, yeah, because you mentioned Blind Justice and CSI. Um, uh, are, are are there shows? Uh, what 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 crime fiction shows that you've been on? Were you ever a fan of the show before you were on it, or had become a fan of the show from being on it? Not really. I mean, it, it was a strange thing because I. I came out here young in my 20s, and, and that was just sort of my way of making money for a really long time. I did 30 guest stars on television shows. There's certainly shows that I enjoy uh, to some degree. And you know, now that I think about it, because I, I bring it up every time you're on the show, because you were on an episode of Angel, which is one of my favorite yeah, yeah. shows all the time. And that, especially in its early first couple seasons, was like a supernatural Twist well, I re- I really enjoyed show. that a lot. I really enjoyed that part because that was it was funny and fun and it was very creative. It was a, a vampire motivational speaker. It was basically the Tony Robbins of vampires uh-huh. <laughs> and had a big stupid Doug Henning mustache. And to be honest, like to work on those shows, it's it's always fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't get to do you know sort of stretch your wings as much because a you're hired sometimes a day before or the day of and there's sometimes the script isn't even done you're getting the script there so it's not like you put a lot of work into it and secondly I've had this conversation with my friend James Urbaniak recently we always are like red herring guys where it's like yeah the guy you think did it and then it's like alright I was there but I didn't kill her you know <laughs> I did that so many times that you could edit a reel together uh, based on just, the, you know, you could cut back and forth from the doctor, lawyer, uh, you know, cop, uh, whoever it is I'm sitting across the table from. So I kind of, you know, about, I guess, six, seven years ago now, because my writing stuff was taking off and was making money that way, and essentially the guest star parts were were my bread and butter money, and they still are in terms of residuals and stuff, but I stepped back because I was kind of tired of being on that auditioning hamster wheel. I just... None of those shows really, there wasn't anybody that saw me on NCIS or, you know, NYPD Blue or any of these things that said, oh, God, we got to get that guy for this movie. It was really sort of lateral moves. Mm -hmm. So when I kind of stepped back and started to do these movies, these smaller films that I've been doing, and I have more significant roles, actually my career now has begun to take off, and technically less people have seen these things, but they can see what I do more. But... The weird thing that happened was in the in the time that I stopped kind of auditioning regularly for television, television got really interesting. And all these shows <laughs> that I really do love are on now, and I'm trying to be on them. I mean, I I really wanted to be on Breaking Bad really badly, I, and I, I wasn't auditioning a lot. And by the time I was auditioning regularly again last year, it was getting ready to wrap up. So they were bringing me in a lot, and I didn't. I didn't get one of those things. I think because I, I look a lot like Bill Burr, and and, <laughs> and 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 it's confusing to people. I mean, some people, I, I don't know if I look a lot like him, but people often people believe think I'm him. Huh. So that would be confusing. But I did watch um, one of the characters I auditioned for kill another character I auditioned for a few <laughs> weeks ago, which was fun. <laughs> I won't give that away. That was not really a spoiler, but but uh, that was I'm fun. Pretty sure I can. Put I it think I got actually. It. Yeah, but these shows like I love justified i love it because leonard is you know um 
you know, one of the very best, if not the, you know, you know, right up there next to Jim Thompson as yeah. far as like the great crime writers and, yeah, and that I've read show, more of him than anyone else. Yeah, of course. And and there is more of him to read. Yeah. What about uh what about Hannibal? Do you think you could I haven't play? seen it yet. I'd it's, like to see it's it. It's great. Yeah, I you heard it's totally good. totally play the red herring who then gets killed by Hannibal. Sure, why not? <laughs> I would love it. I, I love Justified. I I I love Breaking Bad obviously. I mean, those shows fit in that genre, I think yeah. of crime fiction, you know. I you know, I obviously think the Sopranos was 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 and is the greatest show ever, but I, you know, that's not on anymore, and and it's uh, it was always in New York, so there wasn't. I never even did a a, 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 a Law and Order just because it's all New York. That, you know? Yeah, that's that's surprising, but, every, but not too surprising. Every actor who's ever yeah. lived in New York has been on that show yeah. twelve times. <laughs> yeah. you if know? you had lived in New York for like a three week span, yeah. you would have been there. That's <laughs> well, what it is. It's, 20 years now or something uh it was i think it was right at 20 years and then they canceled it okay and but i, I remember, mean all yeah. the other i mean there's yeah it's three SBU other ones still you know? going yeah. on and i think and is then there was still yeah that one's still going there was I think, trial by jury and then criminal intent is criminal still intent on i think moved to tnt okay trial um, by jury was over when Jerry that was Orbach quick died. right yeah um but yeah it's uh and I'm a big I'm a big Law and Order fan. I mean, I, I stopped watching uh, in the later seasons, but you can always I watch was those. Those are like potato chips. You oh can yeah, just sit, like, yeah. I have the I own the first five seasons oh, just yeah. because it kind of gave people something to get me for Christmas. Plus, you can never you know you can never find an episode, so you should own them. <laughs> it's never on. I do not have cable. <laughs> oh okay. And so, and you've I, never been on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also as strange as it sounds. I really liked as good as Jerry Orbach was, as good as Sam Watterson was. I I was a big fan of Michael Moriarty. Oh, sure. Show. I thought he was amazing. Uh, George Zunza was on it, Chris Noth, yeah. uh, and then Paul Sorvino for a short time. It was just a really, all, really all good actors, uh, yeah. really good cast at the time. Elizabeth Rome, who was also on Angel. Mm. Oh, all right. Just making connections. Yeah. I don't remember which uh, which female ADA she played, but there were like a <laughs> million uh, of the blonde them. one. Um, that still doesn't narrow <laughs> it down. Wait, was she the blonde lesbian or the, or the I, blonde, I don't you know? know. Okay. <laughs> I did a movie recently where I had the contacts in for the first time. Really? Because I played a monster in that, uh, the vampire, and I had the contacts in, and I just did this movie, uh, Kitchen Sink, that our oh, friend Josh our, Fadim is in. Yeah, And our friend uh, directed it. Uh, yeah, Robbie Pickering, Robbie right. Pickering, who's oh, been nice. on the show, directed it. All right. And I play a, a zombie priest in that, and I had these contacts in, and and uh, Josh and I actually had this scene with, and we say this without giving too much away, but... Uh, both of us basically have contacts in where we're close to blind. I'm totally blind in one eye and like milkily blind in, in another eye. And because it was night and there were lights on, I'm basically totally blind. Yeah. And there's hundreds of extras and it's a battle scene and everyone has weapons and we just are supposed to just run into it. <laughs> Which we did. But I, uh, it was uh, quite an experience. I, I imagine it was akin to uh, this is probably really offensive but I started to imagine it was akin to like being in uh, you know uh, in Chicago in 68 during the riots with all the tear gas (laughs) (laughs) just see like the edges of axe handles and stuff flying towards your head and just hope that you make it out alive well I have a couple questions Uh, I'll start with this one first um, because it's the same thing that I asked um, AJ Bowen from You're Next when he was on on here Um, you've which is a great movie. You, yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Uh, you've been in a, a good amount of horror films mm. r- recently. Uh, are you a horror fan? I am a horror fan. I mean, I... And what, again, like with the crime TV question, did you have you become more of a horror fan by being in horror films? Uh, no, you know, it's a, it's an odd thing because the, the, the independent world and the, and the, the horror world are, are, have really sort of like 
joined forces or have sort of no. crossed paths, you know, as we see, because, uh, you know, well, like for Joe being in your neck, Joe and, like you know, I, and all these hentai and, and being in other Joe's movies and, you know, all these people are friends and they, they do film festivals and they're all independent filmmakers. So, uh, Ty saw me in, uh, in Craig's movie in Great World of Sound and, and wanted to work with me and, and um, and also Evan Katz, who directed Cheap Thrills, saw me in Great World of Sound and wanted to mm-hmm. cast me, but it also had seen me in Ty's movie, The Innkeeper. So um, I am I more of a fan? I'm probably seeing things that I might not normally see, but I've always been a fan. I've seen every Final Destination movie in the theater, sometimes on the opening night. Wow. I don't like all that stuff. I've never seen the Saw movies. I tend not to be into the... That's sort of just strictly torture porny yeah. stuff. I, I, I doesn't interest me. Um, but uh, I something, agree with you something in with theory, some, and yet I'm I, sure I really there are really good like ones. Hostel. I like the first Hostel a lot. Yeah. So like you tend to, you know, I've never seen a single uh, saw film. Uh, saw, saw film. The first uh, one. From what I hear, from what I hear, that they do get kind of creative. I haven't. I mean, so, I'm interested in seeing the first one. I just, I yeah. honestly haven't gotten around to seeing it, and obviously, the, it's not as much of a priority to the me. The first but. one, and I've never read any interviews to like back this up, but I, I feel, I felt like when watching the first one that it was supposed to be kind of darkly funny. Yeah, it premiered at Sundance, and it was, it was like yeah. a, a very big hit there. Because I, I enjoyed it because I found it kind of fun. Oh, and Do funny. they get serious or something? No, uh, I mean, well, I guess it depends. I think it walks a line where I could be wrong, and maybe I'm just like sick and taking it, as or a joke. remembering it or, wrong, or whatever. Yeah, but I remember, like, with my ex girlfriend when I saw it the night that it opened. We, yeah, I saw it's probably the first midnight, like Thursday midnight, that I ever went uh-huh. to was saw. And not because I really wanted to see it, but because we lived around the corner from a theater that had midnight showings, and, and we then did we saw. And so we went and saw saw, and like a- after it, she was like. Like the credit, as soon as the credits were rolling, she was like, "Oh, let's get out of here." And I was like, "What?" And she was like, "That was awful." And I was like, "What are you talking about? That was hilarious." <laughs> and I don't, know, I still don't know to this day if I'm supposed to have found it as funny as I did. It's interesting to hear uh, people talk about it, especially when I worked at, at that video store. Uh, you know, customers would come in and say, "Oh, the, I really like the Saw movies," and I said, "I never, I never saw one." And, and they said, "You know what's really interesting about it is." You know, it it like makes you think, and I was like, okay, about what? And they're like, well, you know, like uh, it's like, what like, would you do, right? No, oh no, they don't say that. What <laughs> it makes you think about is that, like, you know, because like Saw is like, uh, you know, taking revenge on like, you know, like bad people. I was like, that's a horrible thing to think about. Is just, well, that's like Dexter, right? Is he like Dexter? Well, except that these people are like just like greedy people. It's yeah, kind, it's uh, like seven. They're not serial killers like like Dexter. It is he's trying to teach. They're them just a lesson. assholes. Yeah, they're like people who, like, <laughs> who deserve to be murdered. Yeah, or like yeah. smoke three two packs a day. Like, right. Yeah. And, they and so like, I don't really know. I I know that the concept is you know at least partially that it's people in the room and they say you can cut your leg off or you can and, yeah. Right, and maybe it's drown in this acid or whatever. I don't know. And maybe it's the, maybe it's the Christian and me, but part of me is just like, well, none of us are safe. If, <laughs> if, if his whole thing is that we're assholes, yeah, he like, gets the arbiter. He's the arbiter of what of what you know bothers him. Yeah, and that's the thing is just. And so in the end, I think ultimately they sort of probably run out of things to do. And it's just like some guy cuts him off in traffic, and it's like, well, yeah, saw yeah. Your head off. Yeah. After what point does he become just a total sociopath? But that's the thing is like, but isn't that, that's, that's the, essentially what Hannibal Lecter is. Only they, yeah. they take the concept seriously. Yeah, and it just and it just there's, fascinates there's no, me. Like, Part of you going, hmm, maybe Hannibal Lecter is right. Like, right? No, you know he's, that he's insane. Yeah, he's fu- that's the thing. He's fun to watch, but no one would ever be like, you know, 
Yeah. This guy's got a point. He's like John Doe. It's like John Doe and seven. was a little crook with him. Yeah. Maybe he did deserve to be cooked and eaten. So, but that's the thing is from what it sounds like, Jigsaw is a character that everyone is like, oh, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it makes you think. It's like, well, it doesn't actually make you think when it's just like, yeah, bad people deserve to die. In the sense that any stimulus would force you to think yeah like i guess so well, your brain moves when you watch <laughs> yeah. it your brain forms thoughts while you watch it and you know what i haven't seen any of them so maybe they are more i haven't either that. i mean yeah. i some of my earliest memories are of the old horror films on television so the the universal horror movies mm-hmm. and frankenstein and dracula and the wolfman yeah. and uh abbott and costello meet frankenstein was a big mm-hmm. movie in my life and then as a i seem to remember just going through a period of like uh you know Ten to early adolescence of being really scared, going to see Poltergeist in the theater, and it was like very traumatizing for me because I did didn't know that it was going to be that kind of a movie. Some people might find it quaint now, but at the time, I still find it frightening. Yeah, I, I love it. It's yeah. my favorite. But a tree I, eats a child, and there was also yeah, something about I grew up like in this you know innocuous suburbs like that, and there was something about it was so recognizable about that it could get to you, and your parents couldn't do anything about it. You know, mm-hmm. that was just really terrifying yeah. anything where a kid dies when i was a kid because you know you're taught that like well, you're I mean, gonna be uh, fine i guess spoilers for poltergeist but the Man, kid doesn't no actually kid die doesn't died. yeah but d- they died still in real rather, life yeah a couple <laughs> of them but still pretty traumatic either, yeah, they, either the clown thing you yeah know. it's very it was very traumatic and th- and so then i remember like you know one and probably maybe my second and third favorite horror movies are John Carpenter's The Thing and, and George Romero's Dawn of the Dead mm-hmm. were movies that I avoided because it was more of the the gore factor. I was really, I was very queasy. I remember I saw this, uh, I can't even remember the name of my brother. It always reminds me when we forget. But we had this thing in our town called On TV. I'm sure I've talked about this <laughs> before. We did not have cable in our time. Like, I, I'm so old, it was before, they didn't want cable. There was some board that didn't want cable coming <laughs> to our town, which is, you know, a big suburb of, of Chicago, mm-hmm. Arlington Heights. And this is the late 70s, early 80s. So they had this thing called On TV, and my mother actually worked for On TV for a brief period of time. And it was like what Z Channel was here. It's a box. Okay. They had programming, but not 24 hours a day, mostly movies, classics, old things, whatever you would see on HBO now, all that kind of stuff. But they would also have these specials, and they had this magic special of this guy that uh, did basically gory magic. I'm sure there's guys like that now. I don't know the name. I guess Chris Angel does that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But one of his his big set piece was he saw this woman in half with like this giant bandsaw. But when he saw her, I don't remember what the what the joke was or what the trick or why he, he, this would seem like a good trick. But he saw her, and she. You know, blood and intestines were flying everywhere. Oh, and Vincent Price narrated the special, <laughs> and he might it might have been one of those things where he's like in the booth of the, the, the you know the booth of the theater, the, mm-hmm. the box in the theater. Like tonight, we're going to see. Anyway, I went <laughs> ashen white. I hadn't seen any of that stuff before, and I remember I came down because my mother was working, and my father had made some kind of sausages and they were all like greasy and everything. And I couldn't really see any. So if my parents said they saw the thing and my mom was like, Oh, it's disgusting. And it is. Mm-hmm. I couldn't watch it. Cause that was scary to me. And, and also, uh, Dawn of the dead, you know, the kind of concept scared me, but also I knew it was really gory like that. And that was yeah. the thing everyone was talking about. So I just didn't see that stuff until I was an appropriate age and I remember Evil Dead 2 was the movie. It was playing at the theater 
that I worked at in high school. And um, I didn't see The Evil Dead or know much about it. And the first night it was playing, one of the guys I work with said, you got to come in here and see this. I, I'm like, what? He goes, you just got to watch this scene where this head gets squashed in the cellar door. And so we get in there and we watch it. And the head, you know, gets squashed in the cellar door and the eyeball flies across the room and goes in the woman's mouth who's screaming. And I just thought, man, that is just amazing. That, like, blew my mind. It was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. And I would just sit there and watch that movie over and over again. And I'd, I'd probably had started watching the thing and stuff like that at that point. But just like I got over, you know, being afraid of thunderstorms as a small child, I just eventually just started to expose myself to now where, I like, I... I I have a legitimate problem, not just with the horror movies, but with violent movies in general, where unless it's, you know, a serious context, I just like, I enjoy violence in movies way too much. Huh. I got a movie for you. Yes. It's called Frankenstein's Army. I reviewed oh, it for this Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard about this. It was just that our film is is sort of, what's the word, is part of the horror world, uh, cheap <laughs> thrills. They They use this term genre now. Right. Was, uh, genre is a type of film, but genre is now used to describe these things. Like, I'm about to go to Fantastic Fest with our film in Austin, no. and, you know, they, they call it a genre fest, and they show martial arts movies, action movies, strange foreign movies. You know, Draft House kind of no. built their, uh, who are putting the movie out, sort of built their label on what they call genre films, which are mostly like things that orbit around horror films. Yeah. So, um,. And Frankenstein Army was playing at this fest, Fright Fest in London, where they just took the film. I didn't get to go, but it was, yeah. it was sort of a big hit there. But it, based on my Twitter feed, it was a very big hit. There. Yeah. yeah, it's it's an interesting. Like this speaks to, I guess, my, my is own it Frankenstein's Army by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> the fourth one will be. Um, oh yeah, they'll they'll crank those sequels out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it um, it's a film. I, I don't know what this says about me, but you know, I read the you know the. the quotes on the blu-ray and it says i forget who said it but it's a really good quote where they said you know you don't you know you don't uh, leave frankenstein's army when the credits roll you escape it and wow. i was like that's a good man that's a damn good quote i wish i thought of that for something <laughs> um but uh so i actually went in and i mean it's kind of like a really great cover and stuff like that so i i went into it really expecting just horrendous gore and I found myself and there's a there's a moment where like a guy gets like drilled in the gut and then you see like his intestines and stuff. But that's very brief. And I remember just thinking like oh, okay. by the end of it, it's like yeah, it's not nearly as gory as I thought it was going to be. And then I realized like there's a lot of scenes of brains and limbs. What is wrong with you? What do you expect at this point? And what I expect is Day of the Dead. That to me is the goriest movie I've right. ever seen. And really very little happens in that movie. So that's interesting. Day of the Dead? Yeah. Dawn of the Dead, there's not much. Day of the Dead, you have a guy getting ripped in half and there's Yeah, but I mean, as far as out. a movie goes, there's not a lot of action in that movie. It's a lot of scenes of people sitting in rooms talking and stuff. You mean yelling? Yes. Yeah. I agree. Yes. Uh, that's true. That's true. But as far as sheer gore, like that to me, I mean, I was watching the, the special features and Tom Savini considers that like his crowning achievement in sure. gore. Um and so Frankenstein's army, while some of the creature, the creature effects are amazing yeah. and it's an insanely stressful movie. And if you like horror, I recommend it. I found myself thinking like, Oh, I wish it was more, even though like for m almost anyone that would be enough to pass out completely. I thought you were going to say that as sort of like going back to what is a, a hallmark of, of the early days of horror or maybe not, not the early days of the thirties, but in the fifties and stuff of 
fifties and sixties of William Castle and and everybody and Roger Corman tricking you into seeing a movie by telling you it's like the craziest thing you've ever seen and it's just like some piece of shit, but they got your money. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's kind of like what happened is happening now with with giant movies. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, see last episode. Uh, the thing that makes it crazy, the thing that I that fascinates me about it is that it's done kind of in that found footage uh, oh, documentary okay. style. Is it about uh, World War II or something? Yeah, Russian soldiers in World War II. They're stuck in Germany, and they, they visit this seemingly uh, abandoned village, and they go to this castle, and, and they make their way through these corridors, and basically these creatures just lunge out at them from the corridor, corridors. It's like David and I, a few years ago, went to Halloween Horror Nights. Mm. It's I, like won't go the, to, I, I won't do Haunted House. I don't like things jumping out at me. I, I won't do it. I... In in my review, I cite that night that in retrospect, I think of it as as fun. And even in the moment, I kind of enjoyed it. Uh, but I do cite it as maybe the most stressful experience. Yeah, I don't. Of my I life. don't. I have enough stress. I don't. That, that's not fun yeah. to me. I yeah. almost don't really even like. Uh, and this is a recent development, like last few years, amusement parks that much anymore. Oh, see. I like Disneyland. I go to Disneyland. No, I love it. I, but I, I like the roller coasters now. It's just like stressful and painful. But I used to love it. You because <laughs> roller coasters are like my favorite thing in the world. But gory movies really upset me. Like I have the opposite path of you. Right. you have. When I was a kid, I wanted to see everything that I couldn't see. You know, right, right, right. And I've become like I think. I think I've said on the show before, Piranha 3D. I'm pretty sure I had post traumatic stress disorder when I left. Well, that there's movie. a piranha that belches a, a, a man's penis that it's just eaten in that, your that's face. That's not the part that disturbed me the most. What was it? I don't know. Okay, spoilers for Piranha 3D. But it's yeah, for those of you who are planning on seeing it five years later, they have uh, it in their, in their possession. Yeah. Oh, what's the right point after now? Grand Illusion in the, the stack? The girl gets her hair caught in the motor of the okay. of the little like. Um, Whatever you like, those Zenith little like uh, little upward motor thing, mm-hmm. it stops, and then the kid in the boat like revs the motor again. It starts up again, and it rips off not only her hair but the entire her entire all the skin on her head. That's like the shaggy gets, dog joke. Of, gets ripped yeah, off. The, uh, the sort of like you th- that you expect the hair to get ripped off, and it's far far worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like there's another part where like two guys go to pick a girl up out of the water, and as they pick her up, her body comes in like comes apart yeah. in half. That's pretty and rough. That part, it's I, re- like it really upset me. And like uh, I mentioned, even on TV, I mentioned Hannibal. There's a part of me that is like all school marmish and pearl clutching, and I'm like, should this be on network TV? This is really upsetting. I, I'm of I'm of the school that uh, you know maybe it's controversial that that those things for the most part allow us to not act on those impulses in real life. You know, I I, I was not. A, a big video game person and then I went through sort of a dark period of my life which coincided with me getting into video games and Grand Theft Auto and stuff like that and I found it to be really therapeutic I found it and so did my therapist too like I found it to be like one of those stress balls that you grab Mm -hmm. to act on and I think movies sort of serve those kinds of movies you know violent movies sort of serve that same sort of purpose I mean there are some people who take it the wrong way but we're talking about exceptions I mean it's such a big deal when someone does something based on a movie or a video game that it becomes, yeah. it's an it's a you know international news story. So, um, but I, that's my opinion anyway. I go uh, the other way. Uh, gore does not necessarily bother me, although as we've said on the show before, uh, certain attitudes towards violence in a movie tend to tend to bother me. I but, probably agree with that too. But that's why the thing my, that, my favorite joke in the Twenty One Jump Street movie is that after Channing Tatum like 
kills the guy in a badass way, and Jonah Hill's like, you totally killed the guy, and then Jenny Tatum throws up. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, yeah. because that's what I that's would do. That's how it would yeah. be, yeah. yeah. Um, no, what I... And it's it's possible that through, you know, violence and through gore in film that people may identify with the, you know, with the leather head or... Uh, sorry, the leather face. Leather head was from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Um, they might uh, empathize with the killer. Uh, I tend to... I don't necessarily empathize with the victim. What I wind up thinking, all right, this is v- very strange. When I see a character get just just eviscerated, just ripped apart, like guts fall out and stuff like that, which I don't see it very often, but like when I do see it, my thought is, <laughs> oh, that's what it would look like if my wife got torn apart. Oh, yeah. Like, no. Just, I, it's you know, very strange. I have people that, uh, you know, people very close to me in my life who view films differently once they have children like it just completely changes everything so that does make a lot of sense yeah it's very i mean it's and that and what the thing that gets me is oddly enough like if and this would never happen this is all purely just in my dumb mind where it's just like okay if that were like my wife and someone were watching a movie of it this thing that is to me horrifying and heartbreaking is to them cool it's very strange. It, yeah, it's, no, as it makes I, sense. As I've said on the show before, like anytime I watch like a character get destroyed in a movie that clearly you're not supposed to care, uh, my thought is just like, oh, they're not going to be able to, you know, his family won't be able to have an open casket funeral. Like that's really right. That's really sad. And she's like, no one. This character has doesn't have any layers to him. Certainly doesn't have any family. He existed when the movie started, and he stopped when he died, and that's it. But for some <laughs> reason, I bring all this other stuff into it. Well, I I, I have somebody you know very close to me who i know would absolutely love the master and -hmm. i recommended it to them and they could not watch it because they have people with mental illness in their life Mm -hmm. and they don't want to watch it interesting so you know i I think that that it is all about context i mean there there's some certain attitudes towards uh violence in movies that's just reprehensible and makes me cringe and i just don't bother seeing it because i know that it is you know I, i I don't know what the dividing line or if there is one, but I, I, I just uh, I tend to prefer action movies more than, than horror films. But uh, Yeah, I'll watch The Raid Redemption and yeah. high-five my friends sure. all day long. Yeah. I'm still watching, you know, Commando over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. The Raid Redemption. That's pretty me. rough, too. Like, I mean, I enjoyed it, but it upset, like, um, the guy who gets stabbed in the neck with the uh, broken fluorescent uh, light bulb tube. Yeah, that, that's really upsetting. There's also like a guy that gets thrown and his back lands oh. on the like on the like stair railing or whatever, yeah. and he just kind of oh, like breaks yeah. back. I, yeah, I never, aside from laughter, I never make noise in a movie, uh, like vocal noise. That one, that moment, I went whoa, <laughs> and I was like, and immediately I'm like, oh no, I just, and then I realized, oh, everyone made that noise. I wasn't the only <laughs> right. one. Right, I made I made quite a bit of noise during your next, particularly and something involving a blender, but <laughs> I didn't. But it was that like, oh, and that. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like that. That movie, as much as I have um, been on the fence about Adam Wingard's shorts in uh, in like the VHS stuff and uh-huh. ABCs of Death. That movie, I think, had the attitude exactly right. Yeah. Where the 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 violence isn't completely meaningless, but also it has a tone where there is a certain amount of. Uh, I will in my in my screening, 
at the LA Film Fest, there was a lot of cheering the, the movie. Yeah. You know, and, and I think it walks that line it very well. It knows what it's doing. Yeah, yeah, that's why I liked it. Uh, and that's definitely, you still didn't see it? I still haven't seen it. It's, I, I've been telling people, I mean, I don't know if it's even still playing anywhere, it's, but it's, it's, it's a movie at the, to see. It's at the Century 8 until tomorrow, and I so I won't be able to see it. Yeah. It's a movie to see with an audience. I'm sure. Yeah. It, it really is. Okay, let's get back into then um, uh, your, your uh, recent work. The other question I was going to ask you is uh, these people uh, that you've worked with, these directors, Ty West, Craig Zobel, uh, Robbie Pickering, uh, who did Cheap Thrills? What's the... uh, E.L. Katz, Evan Katz. Um, now, you also know these people somewhat socially. Yeah. Uh, are, is it just by luck that you happen to have friends who are really talented filmmakers? Or I suppose you... if you get right back, back, go back to it, yes. I mean, um, David Gordon Green was somebody who my brother met when he was working for a film festival and uh, in Chicago in 2000 and went to Berlin and saw George Washington premiere and became mm-hmm. friends with David and Craig and, uh, um, you know, that whole group of guys that went to North Carolina School of Arts that also yeah. now includes Danny McBride and Jody Hill do Eastbound and um, uh, 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 Jeff Nichols, you know, who did Shotgun mm-hmm. Stories and, and, and Take Shelter and, and Mud recently and, and all those people. So... Uh, that all kind of spreads out from from David, uh, certainly knowing Craig, and even some of the bigger films. I mean, d- d- you know, David introduced me to Andrew Dominic, and so that's why I ended up doing yeah. Jesse James, and um, and so I did Great World of Sound. And what happens is, I started going to Sundance in 1999. I did this little um, art movie that was in competition there called Treasure Island in '99. And then I made a short film that I wrote and directed and acted in in 2001, and I went there. But really, like, when I did Great World of Sound was when I was going to a lot of film festivals. And that this is sort of like where we all see each other, because we don't all, um, you know, live in the same city. And even if you all lived in L.A., the, L.A. is not, there's not a place where filmmakers gather and hang out, you know. But at a film festival, it's it's almost like camp or, you know... Mm-hmm. Or being in a play or working on a movie with somebody, you're with these people for a uh, you know short period of time and they're really intense, closely mm-hmm. together, and you're watching each other's work and you're hanging out. So this sense of community develops. So I met Ty, you know, when he had a film called Trigger Man, and I was doing Girl World of Sound in 2007, probably at the LA Film Festival, and um, you know, I met Joe at South by probably the same year. And I introduced Joe to Amy Simetz, who now is in everything, <laughs> and uh, you know, yeah. and uh, and we all just sort of do it that way. So it's not uh, it, it's nice because it doesn't feel uh, it, it all. Is, we're, we're all people who like each other very much and want to work with each other, and enjoy. It's, it doesn't feel like you're networking and greasing the palms and things like that. There's just sort of like natural fits that people you know want to want to use each other's talents and want to want to want to work with each other and basically like it's a, it's it's a really good excuse i mean you bring up those vhs movies like it's a good excuse for them to do something fun and hang out together you know mm-hmm. which i think especially is what you know your next is it's it's a, it's a group of friends getting on together and hanging out and making a movie for a while and i think the 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 fun of it is palpable when you watch it you know and so um, I, 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 you know, it's, it wasn't certainly not by design, but it just, yeah, it's, I, I, I still think that everything in, in this business, especially in this career is, you know, you, you have to be, you know, good at it and you have to, um, you know, uh, 
hang around for a long time and you have to work hard. But ultimately, the people that separate some people from others is just that stroke of luck of meeting that right person at the right time. It really is. Otherwise, everyone would. There's there's plenty of people who would be much further along or have bigger careers or, or you know. And, and I, you know, maybe I'm one of them, <laughs> you know, like maybe I'd be further along and I just haven't quite caught that break, but I'm doing fine. I'm the nice thing is that I'm doing things that I would like to see. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really by, I suppose maybe unconsciously it was by design, but, um, even in the bigger movies that I've had smaller parts in there, they generally tend to be movies that I fit my taste, you know, which is fairly broad, but, but, you know, I do kind of like, you know left of center and cultish type things. So, you know, even movies like Magnolia and, and Ghost World, which are movies that I did when I was really young and have, you know, fairly small parts in, are movies that weren't big movies when they came out, but have huge cult followings, mm-hmm. a, a huge cult followings. You know, it's, they're some people's favorite movies. Jesse James, too, you know. Uh, so I, 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 I have no scientific explanation for it, but uh, I... I seem to be doing what I want to do, and, and now it's nice because I'm making a pretty good living doing it. So, It is interesting how people with similar artistic sensibilities do tend to just sort of find each other. Like, uh, musically, like every musician I love, they all seem to know each other and work, work together eventually. Right. Uh, but, like, I never found I, – I didn't really find any of them in reference to one another. Mm. Like – I was a big fan of John Lurie before I knew who John Lurie was. I was just a big fan of that Get Shorty soundtrack. And then, and then I, uh, was a big fan of Tom Waits. And then of course the two of them have worked together before and not merely in fishing with John, but also like John Lurie shows up doing sax on uh, rain dogs and then, uh, down by law. Yeah. Exactly. Like they, so like, okay. And then like Jim Jarmusch, a filmmaker, I really love like happens to embrace them as well. And then there's... I found out that Richard Edson, I didn't know this until recently, was one of the original members of, of Sonic Youth. Richard Edson is, <laughs> you know, in, in uh, Stranger Than Paradise with John Lurie. And, oh, wow. I didn't, yeah. And I, right know, I have an old vinyl, and I was looking at the p- picture on the back, and I was huh. like, I'll be damned. Man, the guy from Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, and then, like, then like I fa- uh, David intro- introduced me to a... A musician named Johnny Dowd that I really loved. Not, not and, pers- I don't know Johnny. Yeah, Dowd. yeah. yeah. Sorry, I introduced to, you to the music. His, of Johnny his music. Yeah. yeah, and then of course he cites Tom Waits as a reference, which a number of people do. But like he does that, and so, so I'm like, oh, I like this Johnny Dowd guy. Oh, he was part of this documentary called "Searching for the Wrong Eyed Jesus," which featured, oh, yeah. featured a musician named Jim White, who I've become a huge fan of. Uh, if anybody and was featured on the aforementioned Breaking Bad in the uh, yeah. first episode of this yeah this back and, half of the season, and then like. And then I found out that Jim White did uh, one of my favorite songs of his, had a collaboration with Amy Mann, who I was already a fan of. And then uh, I was a big fan of Charlie Musselwhite, who re- regularly shows up doing harmonica on Tom White's albums. And just like all these people just sort of find each other, and I like and I like them all. And so it makes sense that I, as a fan, would find them all individually as sure. well. You know, and like... And they're all victims of Jigsaw. That's the real, real <laughs> thing. No. Um, no, yeah. I suppose that happens. I mean, like with movies, when you hang out at film festivals, I mean, musicians have that with t- uh, touring. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? How people find, how fans find. I just think it's it's part of the sort of the magic and mystery of it and why I love it and why oh, yeah. I, I, I run into people all the time that, that seemingly do not like any of this stuff that we do in 
they don't really they're not really that into movies either they are cynical about everything or they just aren't interested and i just don't get it because it's so hard that I, there's better ways to make money i only do it because i'm such a I'm in such, uh, you know, awe of it, and I always yeah. have been, and I love it so much, and I don't want to do anything else. And even when I'm not working, I want to just watch it, and, yeah. and I want to, you know, read about it and all this stuff. So uh, I, I don't get it. But and there's a, there's an odd, and then some of it is just the weird, like some of it is I think weird Los Angeles and maybe just show business stuff. Like for example. I go to church with a guy named Barlow Jacobs. I know Barlow. Yeah, yeah. he was in uh, he was in Great World of Sound. I mean, I met Barlow who, as a PA on Undertow in, in two thousand three. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. And then he went on to be in a Joe Swanberg film called called what? Alexander the Last, which is the movie that I introduced to Amy to to Joe and what she ended up doing. <laughs> and so, and then, and then uh, Barlow wound up being in The Master, right? Along with. Josh Fado, right. who got cut out. They all were like, cut out together. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, and I know both Josh and Barlow, and then I know you, but not as a function of Barlow. It is really a small world. I mean, yeah. it really is. But I do think like-minded people tend to, tend yeah. to find each other. You Absolutely. Know? Um, so for what it's worth, yeah, I, I guess it just kind of happens that way. Now, um, we've been going for a while. Did you uh, want to contribute? I was going to go just into Cheap Thrills specifically. Yeah. yeah. This is why you and I host yeah, the show yeah, together. I don't, have all, I, I, I I don't do. have all night. Come on. Well, I was going to ask you about, about Cheap Thrills. We didn't get a chance to see it. It wasn't for lack of trying. No, no. And, and, and Battleship Retention doesn't have... Uh, we can't throw our weight around. Like no. Sites, you know, I, if you had let me know, I would have I would have hooked you up. Oh, man. And I will. You yeah. still can. But <laughs> I, I, you were saying that about your next. Uh, Cheap Thrills is really a movie that you that you want to see with an audience. I mean, it is going to have a VOD release, as, as these smaller films do now, uh, I think in January, and then be theatrical in February. Um, but it's, it's good. I mean, this is actually really good, because it sort of encompasses all of these things that we've been talking about, is um, it has a gore element to it. Which has placed it in these, you know, sort of horror festivals, and the guys that are working on it, uh, El Katz, Evan, uh, wrote some horror films and worked with Adam Wingard, and uh, wrote a movie for Adam uh, that they did together called Pop Skull, and and um, Travis Stevens produced uh, Cheap Thrills, and he produced Horrible Way to Die, Adam's film. So it has those elements, even though itself is sort of more of like an LA sort of noir crime story, although it also has elements of fun like uh the hangover or something but it's mm-hmm. I, i've described it as like the hangover taken to you just said the thing about channing tatum throwing up after he's killing someone <laughs> it's like well what would really happen like they wouldn't all like go to a wedding afterwards like their lives are in, in, inextricably fucked up you know what <laughs> right. i mean it's that kind of movie you know it's it's uh myself and ethan embry i play a guy who's a, a young father i lose my job we're about to get evicted from my apartment. I go to drown my sorrows at a bar. I run into Ethan, who is a friend from a past life and clearly a life I'm not a part of anymore. I'm an upstanding citizen now, and he's a guy who breaks people's arms that owe money. And um, we meet this couple, uh, this eccentric couple played by Dave Keckner and Sarah Paxton, who uh, are larger than life and having a great night out in the town and we start drinking with them and they're throwing money around like crazy 
And it begins as a, you know, series of, of dares. I'll give you, you know, 20 bucks to, to slap that waitress on the ass or, mm-hmm. or even, you know, even smaller than that, like drink a tequila shot. And uh, as the night goes on, uh, the money, uh, the, the substances become more intense and the money gets higher and higher and the dares get more and more intense. And if you've seen any of the trailers or anything online, you get a, some sense of uh, how intense it gets while still being very uh, playful at the same time and, <laughs> and, and sending the right message, I think. Uh, but uh, um yeah, it's great. It's it's a it's 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 a great movie. It's my favorite thing that I've done for sure, and it's uh, and that's not to take away from some of the great you know things that I've been in. Um, but uh, I get to play a character sort of from A to Z, you know, mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know I don't often get that chance to sort of spread my wings. And and the film itself is is in a genre that I that I like a lot. And as it turns out, uh, Evan Katz and I are are also huge fans of the same crime writers for the same reason. Oh, mm-hmm. And as a result, we are now, um, we've just been hired to write a crime movie, a heist movie for Keith Calder, the producer of Cheap Thrills. So we are oh. of, uh, um, you're next. Oh, okay. Who, who runs Snoot Entertainment. That's his company. And Snoot co-bought um, Cheap Thrills with Draft House. So they'll be releasing it together. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, again, again, another small world. Like we like all the sort of same things about yeah. that, and 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 became friends, and and now we're working on a script together that is uh, further away from. Uh, we keep discussing what level of gore is going to be in the movie because <laughs> Cheap Thrills has its share, and, but um, and even if you've just seen the the, the posters or the, the the festival poster, you can see that it's pretty pretty bloody, and and that's fairly early on in the movie. Uh, but uh, yeah. Well, and you uh, mentioned that it's it's it's, and I I haven't seen the film, of course, but uh, that it's it's like your you know one of your favorite genres. Well, it seems to be several genres, as you mentioned before, yeah. like the idea of an everyman who just needs money, and then a rich guy comes along. It's like that's very noiry. Yeah, and then th- like starting down a road, but then th- you know thinking you'll get one thing, and then. It gets worse and worse and worse. That's noir, but it's also there's noir, a yeah. definite horror in there there's as well. There's horror, and it's a it's a jackass movie to a certain degree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's very funny at times. It's uh, and, and it's a very much a you know a kind of there's 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 some some kitchen sink realism and drama in it as well, which I think is ultimately like the dirty word now because you can't sell a movie called a drama. So it's like, mm-hmm. well, what do we call it? Uh-huh. You know, so you have to come up with something. Um, but uh, well, I don't even know if it's a straight up drama because it is really funny. I mean, you know, if 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 a drama had, you know, elements of a jackass movie, I guess. But it also seems to be in a way not unlike the Andrew Dominic film Killing Them Softly, which mm-hmm. is this, you know, there's a very specific story specific to these characters. But, you know, it does seem to reflect the desperation that happens when we're in not the best economic times. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a movie that was that's certainly about that. It's infused with that. We sort of, you know, as artists, can sometimes take credit for that. I, I, there wasn't intentional, like we were we're making a movie about the statement of society right now. I think it's just naturally came out of. It's yeah. a piece of work that you know or you know piece of art piece of film uh, video that that came out of 
the times that we live in. Yeah. Uh, that is that is influenced by the time we live in. Uh, that's not to say it's a, a vet, you know eat your vegetables type of movie. It isn't. Mm-hmm. I think you'll have a good time. But yeah, I mean, it's. I think some of the gray entertainments are you know informed by our darkest times. You know, yeah. so some of those great thrillers in the seventies, like The Parallax View and Marathon Man, and things yeah. like that, are 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 all about just the horrors of, of, of Watergate and Vietnam and all these things that were going on, Kennedy assassinations and all that stuff, you know. And unlike the idea of, you know, I, I actually just rewatched Killing Them Softly uh, mm. a few days ago, and I love it. There's a lot of things I love about it. I mean, it's also incredibly on the nose, mm. and it sounds like Cheap Thrills, while maybe being informed by the times in which it was made, it's not about first, that. First things first, you want to make a great movie. It's a good story, yeah. And it just happens to be infused with this other stuff. Correct. And, uh, you know, there's, it, it's also something that I, I like, which is a, it's an 85-minute movie that yeah. barrels like a freight train, man. And I'm just so tired of these bloated movies yeah. where it's like they did the effects before they they had the script so and then they spent so much money on the effects they don't want to cut anything out. I guess that's what's happening. I don't know, but I don't know why... It takes me. Would I need to spend two and a half hours watching, you know, giant monsters and giant robots and all this shit? There's a movie, a recent movie, I've been recommending to anyone who will listen to me called Scenic Route uh, with Josh Duhamel and Dan Fogler. Oh, I haven't seen it. It's just they're like two guys, kind of like your character, haven't seen each other in a while. One Josh Duhamel has since like gone on the career wife kid, you know, house route, and Dan Fogler's still the uh, like idealistic, unemployed, struggling screenwriter. They go on this. road trip together they decide to take the scenic route through the desert their car breaks down they're stuck in the middle of the desert with no food or water and it's 85 minutes of just like two guys talking and it's really compelling and really oh, electric great. and uh just super lean and exactly what you're talking about i like i like a movie that yeah yeah no this movie moves it's really really well directed movie and you know when you we shot it in 13 days and only 11 of those days are the 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 basis of what takes place in the house which is the 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 bulk of the movie and and um a lot of stuff had to happen and and it was 100 degrees in la last september you might remember that there were blackouts we lost power certain days Hmm. it was hot it there was some bullshit going on on the set which i won't get into and 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 there wasn't a lot of time and there was no money and yeah, and so sometimes out of that is born great art. I mean, the movie plays like you know, <laughs> the hell. I mean, it is sort of like yeah. I've been telling some people. It's kind of like this microcosm, uh, microcosmic version of you know the apocalypse now or Fitzcarraldo story of like you know <laughs> there was a guy that shot every single thing that went on behind the scenes and maybe one day that will be a great movie too because well, yeah I hope the behind, the behind the scenes bullshit doesn't have to do with Ethan Embry because I'm a, I'm a big fan oh he's terrific and and you know what's amazing is in the movie at this a nine out of ten reviews I read note that they didn't realize it was him until the movie was over until it's half people, over at, I'm a, I'm a like well, your friends a brother Ethan Embry though. fan at this point because he played. There was a certain Ethan Embry type character when he was younger. When I was younger in Empire Records and Can't Hardly Wait and that thing you do, um, that are all great performances. Yeah. And I was I've been so happy to see him uh, do things that are so far apart from that. Yeah, I think, but it, not feel like he's intentionally trying to like he still brings no, a no, certain no. sense I mean, like on brotherhood he brings a certain sensibility yeah. but you know what was the first thing before brotherhood that i re- like saw him as a 
different person in was uh, Showtime's Masters of Horror series. Mm. There was one that Don Coscarelli did. Oh, I haven't seen that. And basically, it's the story of a woman who's tra- who's uh, lost in the woods, uh, and this weird thing that is either a hillbilly or some sort of monster is chasing her. And then, but the, it's also told in flashbacks where she married this nice guy, Ethan Embry, who uh, went on to be sort of become a paranoid survivalist and became really sort of abusive and creepy, but also taught her all these things about surviving in the woods. So we're getting the story of her using the things she learned from Ethan Embry uh, to survive in the woods, but also the story of him becoming a really controlling, awful, like yeah. mean husband. Uh, and I won't spoil where it goes from there, but it's this parallel story, and it's it was such a different role well, for him. Well, it's been interesting to see that. In a way, it's almost kind of insulting to think that a guy who you know was a kid in movies would somehow look and act the same now. I mean, as a yeah. man in his thirties who yeah. uh, well, this is, is what people who are up, up in arms about Miley Cyrus are just people who want her to always be Hannah Montana. Yeah, that's really upsetting to me. I've, I'm finally finding her interesting for the first time. <laughs> Um, but uh, I, uh, you know, Ethan um, brings something that I mean, and he even looks different now than from when we shot the movie. He he, he skateboarded down the street with his kid one day with and said, "Hey," and I I didn't know who I was looking at because that was not the person that I met <laughs> on the movie. You know, he put on like twenty pounds of muscle or something. He has this hmm. big beard. He 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 and he plays a rough guy, and he's really good. And um, you know, there's some. Uh, great chemistry there because um, we are very different people, you know, in 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 many ways. Um, but uh, he's he's terrific in it. But it, yeah, it, it is kind of weird. Like when people are like, "Whoa, what what happened to this guy?" Like as if you know we're expecting you know him to 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 still be this aw shucks kind of uh, teenager and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I, he seems to be someone who has always kept working. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, he's he's had a long career. I mean, I think he's been doing this for for as long as i have and and i'm older than him so um 20 something years i think so uh i think you'd be really impressed with him and dave keckner is just uh, if not physically uh he's physically recognizable as david keckner but he's not the david keckner that you've seen before i was gonna ask i mean i know that you've worked with a number of really notable directors and notable actors and stuff but the one of the things just like what must it be like to work with Dave Kettner, whose career I find just fascinating. Well, you know, there's there's career and then there's a life. Mm-hmm. And when you've got a family and you've got, you know, you've got kids and you've got things, there, there are certain things that you do that, yeah. that, that maybe don't reflect your personal sensibilities. I mean... Yeah. Oh, I'm not judging him for oh, what no, he Oh, no, not at all. But, I mean, I think that David has a much better grasp now on what that is and and his abilities and stuff and i think this movie is one of the things that that uh you know shows him that 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 he has this within himself you know Mm i i you know i think you know without i don't want to talk too much about him but you know his family is 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 his number one priority and i mean he's a guy who who had to learn to do stand-up two years ago you know to make money so Mm -hmm. like uh, and I know he enjoys it, but he's not uh, someone who comes from a, a stand-up comedy background. He comes yeah. from a you know improv and, and sketch comedy background. So, um, and in this movie, he's sort of his turn is kind of like when you see those lovable character actors like 
Pat Hingle in the Grifters or uh, Wilfred Brimley in the Firm, and you're like, what the fuck? There's <laughs> yeah. the devil. I mean, yeah. it's using everything that they use and everything they do in the other movies, but wow. He's really, really impressive, you know? Yeah. And I get to work with my friend Sarah Paxton, and we did the Innkeepers in, and we're pals, and, and she's great, too. She's, It's really interesting. I, I think maybe I'm the only person kind of cast to type in the movie hmm. and yet everyone's sort of brilliant because they're all very natural but I, I do think a great director is like um, you know greatest asset with actors isn't casting I mean a lot of people tell you Altman always said that you know hmm. that you just know that they're going to be able to do it somehow you just know that they're hmm. going to do that and, and that's what that's what Evan Katz did here he just assembled a great group you know and it's a, it was a good script. It wasn't hard to, to you know, to get those people, um, even though the money's not great. So, yeah, I just think it, it's, you know, the magic uh, that sort of, like, happens sometimes when you shoot something really quick for no money and it's just a big pain in the ass. But if you really care about it. And with me, with, with starring in movies rather than showing up for a day's work, I mean, I always put everything into you know, anything I do, but especially with this, there's an authorship, you know, and an ownership to it. And and the filmmakers, I I know I can say this and they can agree with me that I have a certain responsibility, even though my name is not on the film as a producer or anything to sort of, you know, guide the ship in that way, you know, as, Mm -hmm. as, as the lead actor in the movie. So it, 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 I like the, the movie because it reflects my personality as much as it does anyone else that's in it. And I think they would all agree, you know, it truly was a collaborative experience in that way. So, um, it's nice to be able to have something that you don't feel like you have to pimp and not really can't really get behind. You know, this one I'm I'm really proud of, even though I know it's not going to be for everybody. And my mother insisted on watching <laughs> the DVD, and and my parents had no problem with compliance. Like they went and saw it in the theater, and they told me how much they liked it. But they won't even. I know that they've watched it, and they won't even mention that they've watched. <laughs> well, that's the thing is they just they don't like seeing you not in control. So yeah, in, in compliance, they love. I'm in control. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. but in this one, they're like, oh, I don't like this. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of things I think my mother probably hoped she'd never see me do. <laughs> Sorry, uh, mom. Home Alone three. We should. <laughs> hey, we I'm should. not making fun of you. It's do what you got to do. It yeah. was early. We should wrap up soon. And I wasn't Still make intending. A lot of money I wasn't intending like go out on a you know sad or down note. But uh, and let me know if you don't even want to talk about it. But you were working with James Gandolfini mm-hmm. at the time that he passed. Yeah, it's a strange. Um, it's been a strange summer. I mean, it's been a very fruitful summer. As I was telling you guys earlier, I've been working a lot, but. Uh, uh, I've been writing this movie, Eating with the Enemy, for HBO for the last couple of years uh, for HBO Films in Tribeca, De Niro's company. Uh, Jim Gandolfini's company, um, uh, Attaboy, was originally and are still one of the producers on it. But Jim early on had dropped out right sort of when I started writing it for personal reasons, and I didn't meet him. Um, it was only because of uh, the 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 draft of the script that was given to to him last summer by um by his managers mark and nancy and who ran his company with him uh that he became excited about the movie again so we started to work together and then this year we 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 started to to get quite close and and spend a lot of personal time together and i i'm someone who i don't want to be one of these like cool guys that i was into the band before everyone else but i was i was a a james gandolfini fan um 
long before The Sopranos. In fact, I, I was just realizing on the way here, because I thought you guys might want to talk about this, that uh, it was almost exactly 20 years ago that I saw True Romance on my birthday when it came out in 1993. And uh, my birthday's in a couple of days here. And uh, out of that whole cast of people, he stuck out so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then I remember, you know, very quickly seeing um, Night Falls on Manhattan, a Sidney Lumet movie, mm-hmm. and, and um, where he's also, he's with Richard Dreyfuss and Ian Holm and Andy Garcia and all these amazing people. And then and then he's in this movie that I don't even care for that much called A Civil Action with John Travolta oh, yeah. and Robert Duvall. And he sort of likes that movie. He, I, do I like mean, you. it's I okay movie, but, but yeah. and I, I'll tell you, I don't even really remember, I remember next to nothing about it except for... He plays the whistleblower of this. There's some sort of factory cover-up of this corporation, and it has to do with the water being poisoned. Yeah. And I remember this scene, and there's no dialogue. It's him at dinner with his family, and he's watching his kids uh, drink the water. And he's yeah. just watching his mind turn as to what he's going to do. Is he going to do the right thing? Is he going to you know, be a whistleblower? What, what should he do? Yeah. And I was just like floored by that so then when you got to see a whole show with him um which i've just watched all of again is extraordinary so when i came to finally meet him and i knew that he was a a, i had heard that he was a very shy neurotic man which when you first meet him the shyness comes off as very intimidating and scary because (laughs) he's a big man and he's because he's Tony Soprano. So (laughs) every little gesture is, is taken in that way. And that was, we did a reading of my script one day with, with Jim and Ken Jong as, as, as the lead roles as a sort of like buddy relationship, which was amazing. And to have that guy sitting across from me laughing so hard that he's crying and he has to stop reading and he's laughing and reading my lines, you know, was, was something else. And we had a nice conversation afterwards, and then you know we we just became friends as we started to work on this. And I was uh, at HBO Films to meet. Uh, it's another funny thing. Len Amato, who is the head of HBO Films, was working with uh, beginning to work with Craig Zobel on a project, and he had seen Great World of Sound and thought and said, "Oh, who's that guy? That guy's great. I, you know." We should get him for something. And they had to tell him that I was the guy that was writing the film because I had never <laughs> met him. Right. So Len wanted to meet. And so we all met. Um, it was Len and, and Barry Welsh from Tribeca, myself, and Mark and Nancy, Jim's managers, and Jim. And it was a Thursday afternoon. I was working. I shot this TV show, Eagle Heart, Chris Elliott's show all yeah. summer, and, or all through June. And um, I, I said, please, I, got, I have to go to this meeting because they weren't going to be available and, anymore. And, uh, you know, Jim was going to work on something else, and so he was going to take this trip to Italy. And I said, "Can you can you move my schedule this day?" And the AD said, "Yeah, you know, you know." Once he heard who it was with, he let me go, and I went out to Santa Monica. We had a great meeting, and uh, I went to go shake his hand and tell him have a nice trip. I was actually at his house when he was booking his tickets for his trip. He reached out and he gave me this big hug, this big bear hug, which he was famous for with his friends. And uh, and then I never saw him again. You know, he died five yeah. days later. So it was well. it's incredibly sad and shocking. And um, I, you know, I was I couldn't really work on it for a while. And yeah. it's you know, you're in mourning for the person and and for for their family and friends, but and, and for this tremendous body of work and 
I think what was coming, and we're going to start to see in some of these movies that are coming out, like the Nicole Hall Center movie, yeah. which he was doing when we were working together, was that he was finally starting to figure out how to break out of being Tony to Soprano to yeah. everybody. Yeah. And um, it's very sad to me um, because I always saw the possibilities there. I mean, you talk about killing them softly. I mean, oh, yeah. My goodness. Um, and, you know, that's almost kind of like the turn that Pacino gives in Donnie Brasco. It's like, here's Al Pacino as a gangster, but he's a loser and he's sad. Yeah. yeah. And he pulls this off with, you know, uh, he's such power and such 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 grace. And he was such a, you know, a, a kind, um, generous guy. And, um, you know, when I got back to writing the script a couple months later, I very much had his voice in my head in a great way because he he inspired me so much, so much of my my life and my career. And I was having a conversation with another actor friend of ours who's also, I guess, could be regarded as a character actor, as I'm often referred to. And there's a great sadness when, especially nowadays, when, as he said, one of us does it. <laughs> When 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 a character actor breaks through as a leading man, and he really was, you mm-hmm. know, women found him sexy, guys thought he was cool, and he played the worst human being on earth, you know, <laughs> and um, that's, you know, I think that makes me really sad because like, I I feel like it's you know me or one of us, you know, mm-hmm. and the fact that I, I knew him even just a little bit, um, is is sad, but I I really feel grateful for the time that I got to spend with him especially as a person but as 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 a kid who who you know grows up loving movies and actors and you know to work with someone and get close with them that you really admire like that is is it really is a dream come true yeah and uh i'm really fortunate to have spent the time with them and old enough to to appreciate and focus on on the positives of it that 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 we got to spend that time together and uh I miss them. I think about them all the time. You know, I, I, I'm sure I always uh, will. And, and uh, I just really, you know, I, I, I wish that he would have kept going for another 20, 30 years. You know, he could have. But, uh, you know, these things happen. And um, uh, I'm, I'm glad you guys brought it up, actually, because uh, I know that, that you guys are big fans and, mm-hmm. and you guys especially talked about killing them softly and his performance in it, which was so yeah. great. And, um, I, I think maybe the movies, you know, missed their chance a little bit with him because it's so obvious to make him Tony Soprano or it was really strange that he was playing like the mayor of New York and things like that, where I was like, yeah, which he was, he was the, great in that. He was great, too, but it yeah. was like, he was the ultimate anti authority figure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and, and he said, here's your dark 30, you yeah. know? And, uh, um, I think, you know, maybe we're going to see with this movie enough said, I guess it's called in a Cole Hall yeah. center movie, a, a different side to him that we hadn't seen in the movies before, you know? Well, I always yeah. liked, um, and like it'll be in, great to see him again. I mean, quite, quite honestly, yeah. you know, but like in, uh, in get shorty or in, uh, oh, yeah. in crimson tide where, yeah. yeah, like he plays a character that at like you think you have figured out from the first scene sure. and then you realize there's all this humanity or brains. That was, that you that's you, 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 you nailed it. What was great about him? Yeah. That's what's great about Tony Soprano. Why should you care about that person? And yet you do. Yeah. Why are you rooting for him? You know? And 
I'm just thinking because I just watched Get Shorty and and uh, you know Elmore Leonard died unfortunately too yeah, recently and as well Farina. and Dennis Farina as well. So it's like you know, movie's great, but yeah. Uh, you know, a, another sort of like signature Gandolfini thing, and and you know that him and Travolta had a close relationship. They came from the same town. They worked together a lot, and Travolta helped him out a lot. Is when Travolta beats the crap out of him in the parking garage, yeah, <laughs> and then he's he says. So you're a stuntman, huh? What movies you were in? And then he's like, oh, you wouldn't, you have, wouldn't seen have seen that. And it's yeah. this really gentle, nice scene that happens, yeah. and they let it go on for a little bit. It's really. Really beautiful and poetic. It's like those are the kind of things that, like, you know, actors wait their whole life for, like, one little moment like that. But he he created that because he embodied both those things as, as being this big, you know, burly, strong, intense, you know, guy and being this, you know, gentle soul. Yeah. Some people usually do one or the other, and somehow he was able to do all those things at the same time, you know, with, with seeming relative ease, you know, even though I, he struggled personally but um you know yeah he was a genius i i i don't say that about actors a lot or or even artists i think that 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 word is is reserved for a select group but 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 james gandolfini was a genius and uh he'll be missed and be missed by me but uh, uh it was remarkable i can't recall in recent memory the outpouring of Love for somebody uh-huh. who passed, not just because he died young, but because in the business, nobody had anything bad to say about him. Mm-hmm. And everyone had something to say about him. And when someone is in your house every week and you love them, it's a different thing. You know, that's why they call it yeah. TV famous is it's television is the most intimate of these forms. It's in your house. It's every week and you feel like you know them. And so it's been like. Sad, but just also very encouraging too about how how you know beloved he was. Yeah, uh, years ago I was interning at uh, Angry Films. Everybody has a story. That's the other thing I, <laughs> no, I love about this, it. This, this isn't necessarily about <laughs> oh. him, but it's uh, it's more just kind of about living out here. Um, and so I was uh, working. At, I was interning at uh, Angry Films, and uh, it was run by Don Murphy, a producer. Oh, yeah. he, had, he had produced uh, Apt Pupil. Mm-hmm. I was there. I was working there when uh, Brad Re- uh, Brad Renfro died. Oh, and I remember. And that's the thing. It was so fascinating reading online what people had to say about Brad Renfro. And I mean, they weren't necessarily being negative, but they were just talking, oh, drugs, and you know, they just really focused on that aspect. Meanwhile. As a part of our job, we had to listen to every phone conversation that Dan Mur- uh, Don Murphy had in case he, like, because in the middle of a conversation, he would say, okay, guys, make a note of that. Sure. And so we would listen to these conversations, and he had a relationship with him. And, and in that moment, more so than anything else, in that moment, I was like, yeah, this this is a real guy, like Brad Renfro. Like. He wasn't just a name. He wasn't merely an actor. He was a real person who had relationships with people. And I had the same thought when I was, I mean, I was very, I was surprisingly upset when James Gandolfini passed away. I, didn't, I had no personal connection to him except as much as anybody else. And then on, on Facebook, you mentioned that you were, you know, friends with him. And I, and in that moment, like something that I was already sad about became this other thing. And it wasn't, it wasn't merely that, oh, Tony Soprano died. No, James Gandolfini died. Like a, a person that, you know, somebody that I would at this point consider a friend, you, like yeah. you knew, like someone I know will be mourning his loss. 
and it's one it was one of those strange moments and so I, i'm sorry to like make this i'm not trying no, to make it please. about me but it's just when you're, you, you're when making you, my point i mean he's just when you get out here you realize and in just knowing meeting people like yourself and and you know jimmy pardo and marisa marsh and steven tobolowski like people that you know for years i've like admired in some way shape or form and uh and then you just get to know people and you realize oh they are just these people are really just people. They might be putting this image out there uh, because they're actors or performers or whatever, but they are people. And in that moment, I felt I felt so terrible. I genuinely felt terrible for his friends and family uh, in a way that I didn't necessarily haven't necessarily felt that way about like other uh, celebrities that, that pass away, even when they pass away, you know, yeah. relatively young, and. I, where I still am like, oh, that's that's too bad. F- film or art has lost something, and it certainly did with him. It's like, yeah, but more than that, people, you know, yeah. his friends lost something, and it's just it's 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 odd living out here for a while, and uh, and I felt so and I felt so bad for you in that moment. Oh well, you know, so. I I certainly don't want to make it about me, but you know, I I. I uh, you know, I, I just happened to be working with him then, you know, and yeah. it uh, was shocking. And so uh, I, I really hesitated on whether to say anything about it, but I, I did feel so personally close yeah. to him. And, and I knew that it meant a lot to people who who knew him that that I did say something. And very quickly, like I'm sure what happened with uh, Don Murphy because I opened the door to Anthony Bresnikin, who's a friend of mine, who was a writer for Entertainment Weekly, mm-hmm. and, and he said, well, I'd like to do, I like what you had to say. Would you write a little thing about your memory of Jim? And I did. And uh, um, and then I got, you know, the, the, the vultures crawling out of the woodworks calling me hmm. and asking me completely inappropriate questions, you know. Hmm. And, uh, and that was like where I was like, you know, that's, I'm not yeah. going to talk to you. You know what I mean? Like this is. This is gross. Yeah. And I'm glad, and thank you for saying something on here because I guess the way I, I, I'm putting it is it, it sort of gives us, you know, those of us who did not know him as a person, it gives us permission to see him as a person, not merely a guy that it's like, oh, he created some really great art. It's like, yeah, he's still a person. And by you talking, you know, writing about him and talking about him, like it gives us permission to see, it gives us a sort of a peek behind and realize. well i think that you said something a little bit ago and i think is probably a good place to end on is that mm-hmm. he, he made great art because he was a great person and yeah. because he understood humanity and he actually did not like you know the business a whole lot and a lot of people in it and rightfully so and he shied away from that and he you know wasn't a publicity hog and and he didn't do interviews and and uh, he was a very private person and i think that people can relate to him because he was a real person and that's mm-hmm. why you do feel like you know him because in your work you're seeing a person be a real person not an actor yeah and uh you know that's maybe his greatest gift you know his this his extreme sensitivity for knowing what a, what a, what a person was and and you know in a way you did you did know him so um that was his uh his his gift and that's his gift to all of us too you know mm-hmm. and uh i think the two things go hand in hand it's always been something that i've tried to do cuz believe me one of the reasons it's so remarkable to hear all these stories about him is there's a lot of assholes let's be mm-hmm. honest we all know it yeah. and to find somebody like that who is so great and is a great person and down to earth and all those things is 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 very rare sometimes you don't want to meet your heroes so yeah 
Well, I think that is a good place to end it. Yeah. Um, people should, of course, seek out cheap thrills. I mean, in life and also yeah, theaters. it'll be out in theaters <laughs> early early next year. Okay, uh, thank you for being here. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, you can find us at battleshippretension.com. dot com. That's where there's links to uh, reviews and uh, all the other podcasts in the BP fleet. You can email us at david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can follow me on Twitter at The Pretension. Follow Tyler at More Lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson at morethanonelesson.com. My other podcast is the weekly television podcast, Hey, Watch This with Paul and uh, Hey, Watch This with Paul and David. That's I did that with uh, King of TV, King of TV, Paul Goebel. Uh, this, year, this week we'll be talking about the return of Arsenio Hall. Hmm. And the Ameri- PBS American Masters documentary on Billie Jean King, which is fantastic, and people should seek that out. Hmm. Uh, so, thank you uh, for listening, Pat. Where, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, everywhere. Uh, Twitter, Pat underscore Healy, H E A L Y. Uh, Tumblr, thepathealy.com. That's mostly movie related stuff. Uh, I think that's it. I don't have a web page. You know what? I'm going to put a call out here because I know. I get I talk to people all the time who are fans of your guys, who are fans of mine, hmm. and like that I'm on here. Um, I do not have a Wikipedia page, and I cannot create my own Wikipedia page. <laughs> and there's all kinds of rules. So if anybody out there is listening to this and wants to take that on themselves, please. I, I think it's about time. Yeah, <laughs> it'll yeah. be like my walk of fame, my microcosmic walk of fame. <laughs> I tried to make a Wikipedia page for us uh, years ago, and uh, we were not famous enough. Yeah, that's so they crazy. There's people that have you know. This was a while back, and since then, I was like, I, I should try to make a, another Wikipedia page. But I remember, like, man, that was a lot of work. It's a and lot I, of and work. I don't want yeah. to get deleted again. <laughs> it's know? a lot of work. So raisins have their own Wikipedia page. I want one. <laughs> I'm coming for you, Wikipedia. <laughs> All right. Thank you again for being here, Pat. Uh, thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 